to another episode of Counselor's Corner. On this episode, we're going to focus on something very important, peer relationships. To do so, we have two experts with us today, and they both come to us from the Individual and Family Connection Therapeutic Practice here in Chicago. Julianne Neely is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice. Rita Laird is a licensed clinical professional counselor in private practice. They come from the same practice, so they're gonna answer these questions uh, as a team, and we hope that you find value in the information that's shared today. So let's get started. Our parents always ask us, you know, what can they do to support the relationships that their child has with their peers? How can they be healthy friendships? What, what do you have to say to parents? I love that parents are even coming to you and asking you that because it shows that they want to continue to connect, especially at a really hard time when their kids are might be pushing them away or shutting them out. Um, so I think foremost is being open-minded and kind of letting the judgment zone go. Um, that way the child's brain will come from a place of calmness and be more open to vulnerability so that they can have a true connection and, and talk about, okay, some actual problems that might be going on. Um, so I think that's the first step. Yeah, because connecting um, with their parents is sort of like the launch pad for connecting with their peers. And so when, when you as a parent can develop that healthy attachment with your child, and sort of be that safe place for them to fall when there are peer problems or any challenges that come up along the way, um, when they have that sort of foundational connection with you, it helps them build those healthy connections with their peers. And along those same lines, they're always watching. Like we know our kids mm -hmm. are always watching even when we think they're not watching. And so modeling is a big part of that too. And so um, make sure your kids are seeing you in relationship with your friends and seeing what healthy relationship looks like. Um, and even seeing, you know, a milder version, but letting them see conflict and see how you resolve conflict in your friendships. Um, friendships are not perfect, and we want to let our kids in on some of that so that they can learn from us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say to parents that don't be afraid of the conflict because it's actually the most important part of a relationship because it's through that repair work that you learn social skills, the bond is strengthened, um, and then you can really grow in that relationship mm -hmm. too. So. That sounds great. What are some signs that a child could be struggling with peer relationships? What should parents look for? I think this depends on the why underneath the struggle. Um, so the first part is the parent has to figure out, okay, I know that there, there are some signs here. Um, are they struggling because it's social anxiety? Are they struggling because they're being bullied? Is mm -hmm. there a learning disability going on? or? something like ADHD that's making some social skills just not come naturally. Um, so it can look very different depending on what the struggle is. Uh, but some red flags are definitely um, seeing if your child is overly concerned with how people are um, viewing them, um, overly focused with becoming uh, part of a group, like the popular mm. kids, just really not letting go of that. Um, 
or avoids going out with other friends, avoids conversations in general. Yeah, one of the things we always tell parents is trust your gut. Um, You know your kid better than anybody. And if you sense that something is off, I encourage parents to dig deeper, but like Rita was saying earlier, in a non-critical way. Mm-hmm. So just being curious, having sort of like an open, I'm just wondering sort of stance with your child, thinking about um, like, why why aren't you hanging out with so-and-so as much anymore? Those sort of things. Like it really do trust your gut because you know your child and you know them well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something I think that's an important piece here. Yeah, definitely. Rita, can you talk more specifically about behaviors that parents should be on the lookout for that might indicate that they're having friendship mm-hmm. issues? Yeah. When a child that typically used to enjoy going to school and then all of a sudden doesn't want to go to school anymore or is sleeping in, going to school late, coming up with somatic symptoms like I have a stomach ache or a headache, wanting to leave school early, calling home a lot. That I see that happen a lot as one mm-hmm. of the first signs. You might also want to look for a loss of interest in other passions or activities that the child used to enjoy. Um, isolation. This can be really tricky because especially in the preteen and teen years, they're naturally going to isolate, which is healthy. But again, go with your gut. Is this, is this healthy isolation or is this something else? Kids want to be around other kids. It is important and they are being pulled biologically to that. So if that's not hap- is that is not happening, there is definitely an issue. Of course, you can look out for changes in eating habits um, and sleeping habits as well. Um, increased crying or just look sad or angry too. So if parents are developing some concerns around their child's peer relationships, what are some suggestions you have, maybe some conversation starters that parents could use to ask about these friendships and relationships? The first thing to keep in mind is kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. Um, Be curious and come from a place of acceptance and judgment-free zone. Mm. That's going to let them feel safe and their ability to open up is you're just going to see a lot more success if you are just saying questions like, what's wrong with you? Or trying to push them outside of their current comfort zone. We tell parents all the time, go for a ride in the car. (laughs) It is the perfect place to have these conversations. You are in a contained space. You're not looking at each other, and there is a final destination. So you, the kid knows where it's going to end. Um, some specific questions that you might want to ask, uh, just what you notice and be curious about it. The why. Why is this happening? Um, I've noticed that you're not playing with so-and-so um, anymore. I, can you tell me about that? Um, leave it a little open-ended. Or, oh, um, what do you think about Um, what do you like about hanging out with this person and that person? What do you think they like about you? That will give them some insight about their own um, person in relationship with those other people too. Yeah, some easy ones are like, who did you sit with at lunch today? Who did you play with at recess? 
Um, or just even reflecting with them, you know, oh, mommy's friend, Maggie, like, what do you think mommy likes about being friends with Maggie? Oh, what do you think you like about being with your friends? What do your friends like about you? Really trying to keep it, like Rita was saying, non-judgmental and not like an interrogation. That's mm-hmm. really, really key. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be questioned that way, right? Um, another, I guess, maybe a story um, is a parent, one of our, one of our parents, that does a really good job of holding this like non-judgmental space so their child is able to come to them and say like, I pushed, pushed so-and-so at recess and mom does a really good job being curious and wondering and not being like, what do you mean you pushed so-and-so? And so together they were able to brainstorm in this sort of net open, curious dance like, oh, I wonder why you pushed so-and-so. What were you feeling at the time? And it came out, oh, she was feeling left out. And then they were able to practice. Like, oh, well, next time you're feeling left out, you could say, um, Sammy, can you please play with me too? I'm feeling really left out. And having this um, sort of role play situation was really helpful. And she was able to go back to school and use that language. There's been a lot of research on the brain and changes that happen as a person ages. Could you talk a little bit about the impact of the brain in terms of being drawn to others? Yes. I think any parent of a middle schooler or high schooler should read Dan Siegel's book, Brainstorm. It has been totally a game changer for me and my clients. One of the major keys that um, he comes out with is this essence, the essence of adolescence. And two, two super important parts, um, this social engagement is where kids at this age, they need to be part of an ad- their peer pact. Just like in the wild, the um, wild wolves, they find a pact of other wolves their age. It is survival. If they are a lone wolf, they will not survive. And so they have to pull away from their caregivers. They have to figure out how to fend for themselves too, but with support of their own community. Um, this can be really scary for parents. They don't understand like, oh, especially because they're still kids. You still need me to help you. Um, but we have to let them, let them go and explore um, and be, pa- be part of that, that community and find that community. It, there are some risks to it though, because the drive, because again, it's coming from a survival part of the brain, the drive to survive is overpowers any morale. So we might see kids engage in, this is where peer pressure really comes in. It's, mm-hmm. ah, all the, they're all doing this. It's not because your kid is lacking in morality. It is literally, I need to survive, and this is what they're gonna do, so I'm gonna go do that too. Um, Another huge part of the change in the brain that I find super interesting is this novelty seeking. So this comes from just wanting to be, needing to feel excited about life. Um, And if a child does not have an area that is healthy to explore this, they are gonna find it. Um, they can't help it. So you will see kids drive fast. 
Um, most kids I know love roller coasters. <laughs> it goes away at some point, at least it did for me. Um, but they are going to look for that thrill. So for parents, it's knowing what's happening in the brain, understanding, accepting it, encouraging it, um, but also supporting them in really healthy ways. Of, okay, I see that you've gotten two tickets this month. Um, let's go to the racetrack <laughs> and I'll get you lessons for something more, I don't know, structured or planned. Yeah, I, I love that because it's, I think it's really important for parents who feel really overwhelmed. Like often in our sessions, parents will say like, I just don't understand. This isn't how we raised them. Um, they sort of take it as this personal, personal failure. Failure. Yeah. Personal failure. They feel like it's their fault that their kid got this ticket or especially what we see is when kids are being mean to other kids. Mm-hmm. And so that drive to fit in is so, so strong that I think sometimes, and that morality piece, like Rita was saying, is not as powerful. Um, and so we have kids being mean to other kids. And that, and when that gets back to the parent, of like, I can't believe you made so-and-so feel left out just so you could fit in. That's not how we raised you, da-da-da. But if you come at it more... The circles back to how to have these conversations with your kids come at it more of like, oh, I understand you really want to fit in. Um, oh, that is really hard. And just understanding this is their brain. This is normal. This is not the parent's failure. This isn't that you've raised a terrible human and they're going to become a sociopath, which are things that parents fear <laughs> and tell us that they fear. It's okay. It's normal. It's part of development. Mm-hmm. And they will grow out of it. And knowledge is power. A lot of times I'll have the parent and their kid come in and I'll just teach them this stuff and I'll have them read this book together. And it's so awesome. Um, I've had a parent before say, oh my gosh, I was so, I would never have shared that I um, experienced, experienced with a drug use as a teen with my teen. But now that I understand that that was my novelty seeking, I can actually have that conversation and make it helpful. And now they're sharing with me what risky behavior they're also partaking in. And then we can figure out, okay, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. It also frees the child. Um, a, a lot of times as adults, we hate that I don't know that we get, but sometimes they really don't know. Their brain is in drive. So if we give them the knowledge, they'll say, oh, now I know. I, I get that. I'm not a horrible, bad person. I'm just trying to find excitement in life. And that's a really awesome thing. So you, you talked a lot about, you know, the parents' perspective and, you know, some of their own guilt or blame and how to, you know, alleviate that. But I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk specifically about how parents can foster a connection between peers and, and their child. How can they set them up for success? Some of our favorite things to talk about. Great. <laughs> um, I mean, it depends on the age of the child, too, of course. Like, um, even from a personal perspective, when I brought my daughter to kindergarten for the first time, I was really intentional about connecting with the other parents and getting their numbers and sharing social media accounts so that we could set up play dates and we could um, have parent connections that also helped the kids connect. Because especially in kindergarten, mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of social skills. You really need that parent support. So make sure you're connecting with the other parents so that 
you know, you're also setting up those play dates. And that's great too when something happens at school where so and so comes and says, I pushed so and so, you can reach out to so and so's parent, like, I am so sorry my daughter pushed you, pushed your daughter, let's figure out what's going on mm-hmm. here. Like, those parent connections can be really important. Um, and sort of circle, circling back to novelty seeking, finding something they're passionate about. If your kid loves ballet, get them engaged in a community with other kids who love ballet. That goes a really long way because they're going to feel confident about what they're doing, they're going to enjoy it, and they're going to make connections along the way. So just to follow up on that, um, so your advice is if, there, if a parent is hearing from their child that there's a conflict of some kind with another child at school, you would encourage the parents to reach out directly to each yeah, other? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, I think that also leaves an opportunity to repair, which I think is really, mm. really important. And if we can sort of bring those kids together with the support of their parents and say, hey guys, let's talk this out all together. Let's work this out and show the kids, model for the kids how to repair. And also modeling for everyone that it's not, um, that there's not, this child is not a bad child, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think when, when it's your kid getting pushed on the playground, like, oh, that you know, David, he's always pushing everybody, but maybe you know David's mom, and you know David has ADHD, and he has a lot of struggles, and so you can have a different conversation with your child of like, oh, you know what, sometimes it's really hard to stop ourselves. You know that feeling, right? Like, you know when it's really hard to stop yourself from doing something you want. David has that feeling a lot more. Wouldn't that be hard if you had that feeling even more than you do now, trying to help sort of bridge empathy, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's only going to happen if the parents are connected and willing to share with each other and willing to be vulnerable with each other. So there's a lot of pressure on our students, especially our middle school students. Things are being thrust on them a lot earlier in terms of responsibility. What can parents do during this time to support them when they're facing these challenges? I think this is a really important time to be a parent community. As parents come together, support each other, this is a stressful time for all of you. And by coming together, you're supporting your children because you can kind of help fill in the blanks of what your kids are bringing home. You can also be modeling those connections. Uh, Middle school particularly seems to be this time where we're leaving people out to fit in. So if the parents are really connected and on top of it, it's so much easier to address it before it becomes a big problem. I would say the number one thing is be a strong parent community and support each other. Here at Alphonsus Academy, we have students as young as preschool all the way up to eighth grade, and I'm sure relationship issues look different at different age levels. Could you talk a little bit about those differences? I love this question because it's so important to keep those expectations um, in check. So they do look different because the developmental stages are so different and the reason and the meaning for friendships um, is also different. So talking about the expectations for this age, it is completely normal for pre-K to have difficulty sharing, um, have arguments over how to play, and also friends change quickly all the time. Um, I actually have a preschooler and every day when I come back her she has a new best friend Mm. or is upset because so-and-so doesn't want to sit with her anymore 
Um, not to say that at this time, these kids can run into social problems too. Their bodies are so little and they're just now learning how to regulate them. I worked with a little girl, um, again, she was pre-K, and she was biting her classmates at school. And it was becoming a really big problem. And her parents were so worried about it. The school was worried about it. Of course, it was getting in the way of her making friends. And so we really worked with her on learning how to regulate her body and also just learning, okay, when is this happening? When is the biting, when is the biting happening? And it wasn't even when she was angry. It was just when so many things were going on around her that she didn't know how to feel her body in space. And so biting was actually an input to feel safe and secure. So it sounds so simple, but even giving her a little chewy necklace made a huge difference um, in helping her. As they grow older, of course, it changes a bit. So then we move into kind of ages five to nine. We've got kindergarten and up. And at this level, children understand friendship in a different way. It kind of goes beyond whatever, who's playing with the blocks at that moment, but it's still in very pragmatic terms. Uh, they tend to define friendship as somebody who does nice things for me, such as sharing a treat or, you know, saving a seat for them. But they don't really think about um, themselves and what they contribute to a friendship. They're just not there yet. So it's okay if they're not a good friend and don't have perfect social skills all the time. Their brain just isn't all the way there. They're still figuring it out. But at the same time, they care a lot about friendship. So they even might put up with not a, not such a nice friend, uh, just so they can have a friend, so they can sort of feel that sense of belonging. Uh, we also hear this all the time where the kids are using friendship as a bargaining chip. Mm. Of, I won't be your friend if you don't give me your blah, 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 or I'll be your friend if you do this. So it's they're figuring it out. Um, but at this stage, it's really normal if it, all the kinks are not worked out yet. So what age group do you find is the most difficult in terms of the challenges that they're facing socially? I think ages 9 to 10, sort of that third grade window, is a really difficult time. It seems to be a transitional year in terms of friendship, but also we're not giving children the same validation. It's sort of an age that gets missed that we might give preteens. So, you know, when the preteens have peer conflict, oh, those preteens, or when it's teens, we might say, oh, those, it's hard to be a teen, but nine and 10 really gets missed. But this year is really transitional because they really are figuring it out. They're sort of better able to perspective take, meaning like think about how someone else might be feeling, um, but they're not necessarily able to make sense of that information uh, at the same time of thinking about how it impacts them, it's sort of more in a rigid, boxed way, and it's really hard to integrate those things at this age. During that transition, one of the things that we see a lot here at Alphonse's Academy is they're trying to figure out who they are and how they fit in with others, like who is in their, their, their tribe, their group. Um, that seems to really take precedent in their interactions. Do you guys sort of see, we hear about this a lot at our practice, that um, 
you see kids sort of inventing these like secret clubs or maybe not even secret but there's like the in groups and the out groups and they have elaborate rules and discussions is that something you guys yeah. see yeah. here yeah yeah that is that is definitely more prevalent in the nine and ten years old that we have we do have clubs and groups and it starts out being really positive intent mm -hmm. but then it quickly goes to being exclusive and people feel left out. And this type of behavior or exclusion, what we find here is that it changes on a day-to-day -day basis. So one day it might be at recess, we have this fictional family and only certain people get to be a part of it. Um, and then of course the people that are left out are, are really upset. And so it's it changes every day and we're always trying to um, not only stay on top of the issue, but give students the capacity and the skills to manage those relationships in the moment. And it's difficult because they, they, we all have a, this need for belonging. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, what they're, that's the need that they're addressing through these clubs or these mm -hmm. groups yeah. or these families. So you know, how can they still get the sense of belonging and sense of community without people feeling left out? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think you bring up a really important point. Again, it goes back to this need to be belonged, which is for it goes down to survival. They have to. So they are creating their own way to make a group and make a community, which is a really beautiful thing. Um, but at this stage, and especially moving up towards those years of nine and ten and, and up um, through the teen years, it, it is difficult for them because as they're they are understanding other perspectives, but it's still very narrow-minded. They can't look at the big picture of, oh, how does this really affect so-and-so day-to-day-to-day? It's still just about their own survival. Um, so that is where those secret clubs do continue. I think it's important for parents to sit down, open their eyes, and listen to their kid of, wow, I, I'm so happy that you have this group. Mm. How does that make you feel? Tell me about who might not be in the group and what are they in any group or how do you think that makes them feel? Um, and be really curious and accepting about it because they, at this age too, they're very rigid and mm. they have strict rules about these groups. And also, if you are, if you do something that is not fitting with the group, then you are out and it is very black and white. Or if you hurt somebody or if you're hurt by a friend, it is, we are no longer friends, you are on my list now. Mm -hmm. um, and this can be really challenging, not only for the kids that are saying, that are hurt and putting the kids on the, on the list of, you must not like me because you've done this, you don't care about me, but then we have kids that are feeling really isolated mm -hmm. where they once felt like they were part of a group and now they're all alone. Social media is everywhere, and it's an important topic, especially in our, our students here at Alphonsus Academy. So we did have a podcast with Dr. Jason Hacker before and talked about technology use in social media. I'd like to understand how does social media impact what we're talking about in terms of peer relations and healthy friendships? It puts so much pressure on kids. I think... As adults, we even feel that pressure. I mean, 
as an adult, when you see Jane down the street going on all these vacations and her kids are always so happy and having so much fun, it's hard not to feel yourself like oh, jealous or maybe my life isn't good enough or oh, maybe I should post something that looks equally awesome. So the kids are having those same challenges. They're feeling those same things, but they have a limited emotional ability to deal with it. So I think it's really important for parents to be monitoring what's going on on social media with your kids so that you can help them through those emotions because they can't quite make sense of all of that. And it might even be helpful for them to hear from you. Oh, when I see the Joneses going on vacation all the time, sometimes I feel jealous and I think, oh, maybe we don't go on enough vacations. Or when I see the Lairds and the Neelys hanging out all the time, I feel really left out because I want to hang out with them too and I feel like I'm not getting invited. That helps normalize it for them as well. It's really such a different time for our kids. Like when we were in school, we didn't have to be connected all the time. Like when I went home at the end of the day, that was it. I focused on being with my family and doing my homework and I didn't have to worry about what my peers were doing. Mm -hmm. Our kids do. It's really hard never to be able to turn that off. I, I literally can't imagine what it's like because I haven't had to live it while I'm trying to develop and figure out what being a friend is and having a friend is and trying to navigate all of that. So we really have to help our kids understand social media is not a realistic picture of what relationships are and it's people putting their best foot forward and to be able to monitor and monitor what's happening on social media enough that we can support them and help them understand the feelings that they're having and normalize them. So I have this quote in my office, which I really love. I think it's attributed to President Teddy Roosevelt. Comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is we're okay with our lives until we compare ourselves to others. And social media, that's what's going on mm -hmm. all the time. Exactly. That comparison is right there. You can't, exactly. you can't get away from it. So we're here at a school. We've welcomed you in, and it's been great having you here at Alphonsus Academy with us. For the teachers that are listening to this, what can they do to support healthy friendships among their students? I think it's important to have a culture of healthy relationships and to continue to start and continue the conversation of what healthy relationships look like, mm -hmm. how to develop them, and also how to resolve conflict. A lot of the kids that I work with, they lack the skills for advocacy. They don't know how to report something is going on. They don't know who to talk to. And they, they also just don't know how to stick up for their friends too. Um, so having systems in place in those conversations will give them the confidence and everyone in the school just this culture of we are kind to each other. And it definitely sounds like that's something you guys are doing here with your 15-second intervention, which is amazing because it gives kids a script. It gives them the words to say when they're in that like panic moment of, what do I do right now? They have the words, and that's really awesome. So keep doing what you're doing. And also, don't put too much pressure on yourself. I think there's a lot of pressure um, on teachers to solve all the problems and 
to be able to see everything all the time and you can't you're one human in a room of many students and it's it would be unfair to expect you to help every student repair every mm-hmm. every challenge but just having a culture of connection and repair really can go a long way Rita and Julianne thank you so much for being here uh, this has been incredibly informative and invaluable I'm sure this might bring up questions for our listeners and our community. How can they connect with with you if they have additional questions or want to seek out resources? They can go to our website, ifccounseling.com, and check out the services we have and also our our staff. They can also email any questions to hello at ifccounseling.com. Yeah, and if you are looking for a therapist, we have um, an intake specialist that can match you with a therapist on our team. We have about nine therapists with different specialties. Um, we all work with kids, so pediatrics is our specialty. So if you um, are concerned, you can give us a call, and our intake specialist can help match you with a therapist that's just right for your kids' needs. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us.